Good morrow to you all. You have fallen on Bard Times. Brought to you by Royal Holloway's Shakespeare Society. You join me, Cassie Dixon. And me, Jack Hardman, as we bear some Bardy truths. Hello everyone and welcome back to Bard Times. I'm your host, Jack Hardman, and today I'm here with Tom Van. Say hi, Tom. Hello there. How are you doing, mate? I am doing good. The sun is out and yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Good to hear it. Um, so, Tom, this term you are playing Hamlet in Shakespeare's own play Hamlet. You're playing Joe in Fame as well as being publicity officer for a bunch of things. You're choreographing Fame, you're publicity for uh, Rucker's Theatre Company outside of, uh, outside of university. So I was wondering, firstly... How are you? And then how is the rest of it all going? <laughs> I am honestly doing okay. Like, obviously, I do a lot. And that and that's even just for the one project fame. I know I do a lot. You also forget <laughs> to mention that I am also the head editor as well of it. So, right. I'm, so I'm head of the team that's actually putting it all together after it all. So yeah. I've also got that happening as well yeah. on top of all the other stuff. But I think... Fun fact is that I actually wasn't going to do as many projects this term. I did kind of say to myself, dissertation, <laughs> dissertation, dissertation has to take priority. But I will say, I think one thing that really did change it was the was the was lockdown three coming into effect because I know I don't do too well with boredom, and because with the nature of virtual shows where it's not as huge a commitment as it would, that it takes away that going from different rehearsal rooms, walking up and down Eggham Hill and those stairs by all the labs, like never a fun time. Um, It takes a lot of that away. I can literally just go from one rehearsal, one being one rehearsal, one minute, and then go to another the next. And, and I've just needed that. I've needed to be on my feet doing all kinds of different things, challenging myself where I can. And this might potentially be my last year here. I'm applying for a master's hopefully. Um, So but so so it's also just a case of I want to do everything that's kind of on my university bucket list this year, like this term, and hope for the best. And um, it's left me to be quite busy, but I'm, and obviously stress is just a natural part of uni life. But I'm functioning really really well, and I've been enjoying everything I've been doing. Amazing, that's really good to hear. How uh, I do have a question for you, and that is how is um, dealing with a dissertation and dealing with uni shows at the same time for any third years listening who might multiple content and any second years who need to be dissuaded to do so much <laughs> oh i am the wrong person to be asking how you manage your <laughs> dissertation i'll be honest um obviously i it, it's all i will say is that I mean, it's very very good that the english department have listened to us and basically have said we pushed the dissertation deadline back which is very very nice for, for me personally because i'm not as far in my dissertation as i'd like to be but it's also just been a case of my dissertation is a project that i have been passionate about since first year like i've had a fairly good idea of what i've wanted to do and i've done a lot of reading and research already so it's just been a case of making sure what I say makes sense. So I've been meticulously going back and forth over the drawing boards. And um, my dissertation is on um, queer masculinity within young adult fiction. And a lot of what I've been doing this term has kind of been on the subject of masculinity, which is also interestingly coincides with what I'm doing for Hamlet as well, this idea of queer masculinity. So yeah, I'll be 
I imagine I'd, I'd be going a bit deeper into that later in the podcast, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask, how is how are you finding, because obviously uh, straight, straight theatre, quotation <laughs> marks, um, not straight as in sexuality, I mean like, anyway, uh, and, <laughs> and musical theatre, um, very different animals. Uh, so what is the from your experience this term so far what is the big like difference in doing those two things over zoom Ooh, that's a very good question um because like i think last like last term especially i didn't notice it that much like the main difference was that every campus show i was doing was essentially a musical of some kind so we were both in Topsy Turvy and in your dreams. Yeah. And um, then, and then, and then on, on side of that, we did a show in person, the form of Rockets Romeo and Juliet, which I was Mercutio. And so I've never had that much kind of like hands-on experience until Hamlet with kind of doing like a straight state through like a straight theatrical play and particularly Shakespeare via mm-hmm. Zoom. Um, never, never done that before. And um yeah, it's just very, very different. But one thing that has been strikingly similar that has really caught me off guard has been like the amount of physicality involved in both Fame and Hamlet. I think right. a lot of that is to do with Eleanor Russ's process. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fame, musical theatre, always going to be physical, especially as I'm a choreographer. I have to literally teach people to be fully physical and do yeah. all the intense stuff, especially when I'm teaching like featured dancers sections in Fame. Like, it's all very, very high energy stuff. But then Eleanor Rutter, and I'm sure we'll get into this further again, is very, very physical as a as a director in that, you know, yeah. she's very much kind of goes in, zooms in on physicality and just how your character presents and how, like sort of like what part of your body that your character leads with, which has just been very fascinating. And as I've worked with Eleanor Rutter, in, as I've done workshops with Eleanor Rutter in person, it was just really fascinating to see that transfer over Zoom. Yeah, because I had a similar experience with her last term. And I think I talked to her about it when she came on the show. Uh, check out the episode with Eleanor Russell to learn more about that. But um, So good. Thank you. Um, but yeah, we it's very, it seems to be a very kind of focused thing. And I, how involved is that in Hamlet with uh, the forming of characters and stuff like that? If Because you said that, uh, in particularly like leading with a certain area but then how does that work over zoom how how involved is that in the in the hamlet rehearsal process a lot of the kind of most physical stuff was kind of in, was definitely in character workshops and um and i think one of the main things that that Ellen, that Ellen the Russell does a specific exercise that she, that she does is just kind of um like portraying like certain portraying like your character going through certain emotions and walking around the space, turning up from one up until ten. So one being like kind of a minor thing, and ten being like full on panic mode. So if he, so, yeah. if, say for example, Hamlet was being was was feeling scared, it would be kind of like a loose fidgeting at one, and then by ten, like having a full on panic and like yeah. darting around the place. And I think one of the most interesting things that I personally learned about Hamlet as a character through kind of doing that was that Hamlet leads with his head a lot because he's being a lot of different things to a lot of different people because of like his secret and of course like all of his deceptions like pretending to be mad and he's going to be in different states to different people so it makes sense that he'd be looking over every corner leading with his head at all times. Okay cool well uh Okay, so we've talked about Eleanor, but there's also, obviously with Hamlet, 
you're dealing with, uh, not dealing with, you have the opportunity <laughs> to work with um, Kate and Eleanor, both as directors. And I'm wondering how that works in terms of, or how you found it in terms of having two directors working on a project rather than just one. Yeah, I mean, up until this point, I've only ever had directors and assistant directors, but like this <laughs> has been like the first time I've ever actually properly worked with co-directors. And it's very interesting because I've known them both from very, very different areas. I've known Eleanor for basically since my first year. She was a DSM for the Adams Family. I auditioned for her for Edges, which was the mini show that they did in my second year. I didn't get in and was very sad about it because Eleanor Russ's like recall was incredible. But then I got to work with her in, in Your Dreams last term. And then and I've and I think this and I think what Hamlet has very much established is that she is very much a theatre director like it's mm -hmm. very much kind of about phys about physicality about how emotions are betrayed through the body and just as uh, she has a lot of and in rehearsals as well she's very very on it with just the sort of words need emphasizing it's just a lot of the more technical tidbits that express characters and emotions whereas someone like Kate who is someone who I've gotten to know a lot more recently she's a much more recent friendship um she, her background is a lot more in film and film is a lot more about subtlety and making and interiority. And where, and how that is kind of working in rehearsals is that Eleanor is very much the one who will go around, do the character workshops, will do the physical work and will point out this and will point out an experiment with where to place emphasis and line breaks. Whereas Kate is someone who will sit down and remind you, just remember where your character is. This is what your character, this is the sort, this is what you this is where your character is at right now and will really kind of bounce off you from that. So I feel like that Kate does a lot more of the interior character work and the two of them are creatively and also just as a, and as a logistical unit, they work so well together and it's genuinely been such a joy to work with them. And I am yeah. just, I'm, I'm so proud of them as well. Like the, actual, the show that they're putting together and the concept is incredible. So you talk about there's, there's, you're very proud of the kind of the concept that they've put together. So can you give us a kind of insight into the concept or, or would that be giving stuff away? No, no, no. Like I was very prepared. I was very, no, no, no. I was very prepared to touch on this actually, because as I said, like it's kind of, and I said this kind of relevant to my dissertation, this idea of kind of queer masculinity. And it is one thing that like really swayed me towards the project was this idea of making Hamlet a more domestic tragedy. So the idea that they have is that this idea. So the idea they have is that Denmark is a big is a big boy company, and right. um, Hamlet is the very very privileged heir to this company, and he's educated in Eton, so he's very much had. He's very much a, a product a product of patriarchal masculinity in that he is not taught to express his emotions. The entire family is very emotionally shut off, and as a result of that. He has a lot of mental. He has a lot of mental health issues, and and is unable to properly process his father's grief. So by the time Claudius takes takes that position, and he's done with school, he's just really, really unable to deal with this. And and it really plays into this idea that he is feigning his madness, but does not have the emotional capacity to do so without completely losing control and going mad yeah. himself. And I think one of the most amazing things about 
this character is that Hamlet is quite ambiguous and is a character that's always confused me, hence why I was terrified when I first got cast. Like, I really wasn't expecting it and I've had such yeah. imposter syndrome that I'm still fighting through, but getting there. But <laughs> one thing that has just really been a joy to is just kind of being able to work out on my own terms, kind of, okay, so why does he push away Ophelia and then literally jump in her grave the next second? Why is Horatio the only person that that Hamlet fully trusts and puts up no front with. And th- that's where I've kind of brought this idea of kind of a queer Hamlet in- into this, into this. We're still kind of playing around with how to convey this, but in my head, Hamlet is, but Hamlet doesn't quite know the difference between sex and love. And we have, and me and Lolly kind of have this really, really great idea as in our character workshop that they had a sexual mm-hmm. relationship that Ophelia is very much in love with Hamlet and Hamlet thinks he should be in love with Ophelia because of their sexual relationship, but he actually has genuine romantic feelings for Horatio. And he just does not, and he just does not have that awareness and he does not have that capacity to fully be in touch with himself to realize this up until the very end. Cause I don't want to, I cause spoiler alert. Don't spoil anything. But but yeah, that honestly, that is, (laughs) No, one, an excellent answer to that question. I was not expecting quite such an in-depth uh, <laughs> briefing. But um, yeah, but also that's that sounds fascinating and actually really kind of unique. I don't think I've both, both the idea that um, I, I think Kate touched on this in her interview with us, um, the idea of Denmark as a company, but the idea of how that then links in with grief and links in with, which is obviously a key theme to Hamlet, when, whenever you put it on. Um, but the way that, that links in with grief and how grief then affects mental health is a very interesting kind of route to go down, as well as this idea of kind of um, sexual versus um, kind of romantic relationships and understanding the difference of that. I think that's fascinating. I think that's great. So in terms of the um, concept for this project, did you, is that what you were drawn to for this one in particular? I think it was very much the deciding factor because right. um, I, I think it came from a place of like a very, of kind of personal connection to the idea of a private school and grief, because in that situation, I have been very much Hamlet because I myself was educated in an all, an all boys private school, did not have the best time with it. Not too long into my final year, I also lost, I also lost a parent and it was incredibly confusing as a time because you, because in private school, you do have to kind of suppress your emotions in order to, in order to survive to a degree and yeah. um, just kind of dealing with that was just very, very confusing. And in the end, and, and from what I know, and from what I knew about Hamlet up until that point, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I was kind of like, I wasn't even like gagging for Hamlet or anything. I was just kind mm. of wanted to be involved with this play and just to see how they would explore this. Yeah. Well, I think that is, well, firstly, thank you for sharing such a, such a personal thing with us, but of also... That, that is actually an interesting influence just onto onto how you then approach the role of Hamlet having so having such a kind of um, relationship with it that, that is really interesting in, in terms of because obviously Shakespeare uh, the Shakespeare play Hamlet is not the only player doing this term you're also doing fame um, and uh, got your fingers in many many pies this term but um, <laughs> 
But um, in terms of the concept for shows, is that the primary reason that you choose to do the shows you do? Or is it, or are there other things that kind of come into play with it? Oh, there are a lot of reasons as to why I would do, I would do a show. I think with fame, it was very much, it was quite simple because I'm on committee and I did kind of feel it was a responsibility for me as a committee member. Plus it's Bryony, our president's baby. And we just knew that a lot more work needed to be done to kind of like get that community feeling back after MTS, because we tried to do a lot of things that we hadn't already done, that we'd already, we tried to do a lot of things that were a bit more in line with what MTS usually does in a regular year. It, it did have some effect, but not as much as we wanted to. So we came up with this idea of doing a big kind of community show where we combined lights up events and productions to just kind of make this big non-audition show for us all to work on. And it's really, really worked. So I was always kind of sold on that from the beginning because I've wanted MTS to do a show like this for such a long time. Yeah. And then, and I knew it was going to be special and it really has been proving for that. As for Hamlet, I think this also goes for other shows in general, but I think, but I think three things in particular that really kind of like make me decide kind of whether I want to do a show or not is one, obviously the text itself. So I'm a big Shakespeare fan. I'm particularly a fan of the tragedies. So uh, Macbeth is my favorite, but I have a lot of love for Romeo and Juliet. And I also have a lot of love for Hamlet. And I also... Yeah, and I like quite a few of the comedies. So Twelfth Night and Much Ado About Nothing are also solid. So like, if if Shakespeare were to put any of those on, I would jump. Um, sure. So so the text itself. Then we have um, the, then we have the crew as well. Like obviously there is obviously I, obviously crew isn't doesn't always doesn't always okay. Then there's the crew itself. Um, obviously. I can't have worked with absolutely everyone at one point, but if there are people that I know I can trust on that crew who one will know what they're doing in the rehearsal room and two, I will be able to go to if I'm feeling stressed, that's really, really important to me. Yeah. And because I, and because Elna Rutter's reputation is glowing, like I was like, she's going to know what she's doing and Kate as well. Absolutely. And then, and then, and as I said before, the main thing which kind of swayed me to be like, oh, okay, I really should go for this, was the actual, was actually reading the director's concept in the audition pack. I was like, this is clever. I must try this. That's really interesting. Um, I wonder what your opinion is on, because talking about um, kind of unauditioned shows and more community style shows, there's been somewhat of a rise of more community-centered shows coming from, uh, societies this year. I don't know yeah. whether you noticed this as well with uh, Savoy last term, uh, yeah. The Little Prince this term. Which I'm also in. <laughs> oh, are you also in that? I'm yeah, sorry. I'm also helping out with. Yeah, I'm also helping out with music in it as well. <laughs> ah, very good. Okay, yeah, because last week we had well, not last week, but two weeks ago we had um, Esme and Heath. Yeah, Esme and Heath. Yeah, a little voice break. Um, <sighs> Yeah, we had them on talking about the kind of community-centered, uh, community-centered shows, and I was wondering what your um, opinion is towards them versus a full, like a normal audition scale production, because the obviously it allows more people to get involved, and that's an amazing opportunity. But then, don't, if that has an impact on uh, not that it necessarily will, but if that has an impact on quality, is that then 
uh, kind of something that a society should aim for? Should they aim for just being on a community show or should they try and push themselves? Into it? Hmm. It's interesting. I think because like, because I think you because the, the like two shows you mentioned there are Topsy Turvy and Fame. Yeah. Um, Topsy Turvy was auditioned. There, so yeah, I think it I was it was auditioned for solos, but there was yeah, it was yeah for the chorus. It was an audition. Yeah, yeah. I think that's 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 kind of what's going to touch on my fame. Um, so I'll kind of go back to. It's interesting you should say that because um, I think with fame, like I think one thing that's been very kind of, we've really tried to balance this idea of doing productions and having audition aspects of the show with anyone can get involved, anyone can do the ensemble and can just, and also what's been very, very important to us about fame is that we have, is that being a crew member is also really, really accessible. Um, so yeah. in terms of um, performing, obviously, and also, in terms of performing, we've kind of stretched out the accessibility in terms of there are more featured roles up for grabs. So I'm playing Joe, but I'm sharing that role with Maddie Carter, who plays Joe in the second act. And we alternate between scenes, do, and we alternate between scenes. And there is a lot, and for almost every major character has that. And even supporting roles have that. So we have a lot of switching between roles and they share like a little item of costume, which signifies that they are that character. And, um, and then we have um, featured dancers who could like sign up. They could just like say their experiences. They didn't have to audition, but they essentially do all the dance breaks. They just have to tell us about their experiences when they signed up. And then we have the many, many crew, crew opportunities. And I think this is what's been probably the most special part about it because I feel like with the normal bidding process that especially with an MTS that we have, it is very much a baptism of fire because you have yeah. to write these big, <laughs> big concepts. You yeah. would know, these big, big concepts and all the logistics of a show that you've never potential of, of a kind of scale of a show that you've never done before in a venue you literally know nothing about. And then only and then only then learning how to crew through that. It's a lot, and it's just yeah. one of those things that is just, I don't know how people do it, how first years do it, um, especially with our normal production of variations, which would usually happen in this term. But I think what's been so nice about this is that we've opened up applications, we've said we've accepted pretty much everyone, and what's been so great to see is that we have first year members is that we have first year crew members as well. And, and that was a massive goal for us. So we have Charlie Thomas, who's doing some directing and we have Sophie Everest and Beth Cummings, who are also co-choreographers. I actually just choreographed a number with Beth. She's first year, she's first year rep for Dan Sock and she's, yeah. it was the most incredible rehearsal process and I loved every second of it. Talking of dance, actually, um, I was wondering, cause obviously as well as all of the thousands of shows and committees that you're a part of. <laughs> uh, you're also part of a team for Dance Society, um, well, as well as being on. as well as being uh, a choreographer on Fame. Uh, and I was wondering, is there something that dancing as a medium has kind of taught you about acting, or vice versa? Okay. I think more than I think more than anything. I think one thing that dance has most certainly taught me about acting is or rather I'd say even acting has taught me about dance and vice versa is just kind of like 
is more is more like a sense of the sort of mood that you bring to different styles of dance. So okay. jazz, jazz and tap, for example, they're the ones that you tend to see in a lot of um in a lot of the more happy kind of more jazzy more jazzy musicals they're very much like kind of the celebratory kind of stuff and then you have um like hip-hop which is more my kind which is more my kind which is more my kind of style and hip-hop is all about attitude and rebellion and there is a lot of there is just a lot there is a lot to kind of play with with that and I think that's why I love it so much, the style and why I've incorporated that into Dance on the Sidewalk for Fame, which is my favorite number in the show and one of the numbers I'm choreographing, is that that is played by a character called Jack, who is very much an outcast in the school. And the number and the number essentially happens immediately after a teacher slaps him in a very, very heated moment. And he basically really, really kind of goes off, goes off on one being like, he doesn't need school. And so he sings this absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal number where he's kind of rebelling, dancing on the sidewalk and just doing his own thing. And there's rebellion, but there's also an attitude, but there's also a lot, a lot of, a lot of joy in it and a lot of freedom. And I just really, really love playing, playing around, playing around with it in terms of its movement. And I'm sure Beth can say the same. Mm. Okay. You said, so you said with one of the upsides of doing fame, the way you guys have done it is you've allowed accessibility for kind of crew members, uh, people who haven't had the experience or the opportunity to experience uh, being a part of a crew um, and, and kind of opening that up and stuff. And I was wondering for any kind of prospect, because obviously you are publicity for quite a few kind of things mm-hmm. um i was wondering what your take on the kind of opportunity of marketing for a production is and whether it's important for sculpting people's views on a show because i know certainly for um the show that we did uh, that i directed last year love labor's lost the i something we found with the publicity connor mcclennan's publicity is it was gorgeous that, i mean firstly it was gorgeous the man honestly did a great <laughs> job but that actually then ended up influencing uh some of the way that the show was put on and kind of the lighting styles that we ended up going with and i was wondering how you think like the effects and the power of publicity on a show and how important you think it is yeah and you know what as it should with as it should affect lighting actually because I think at the end of the day, what the job of publicity is, especially if we're thinking in terms of graphics and aesthetics and kind of what you see in the lead up to it. And it's very much all about, you know, selling what you are going to see. And I think where, where I can definitely give Love's Labour's Lost a lot of credit is that it very much kind of, you went in knowing, having a very strong image of what the publicity looked like and the preset was all of those colors, it was gorgeous. Um, but when it comes to marketing, yeah, there, there we go. I'm inflating your ego there, thank there you, we go. Thank you, I appreciate <laughs> that. That's what this entire show is about. <laughs> Love it. But so yeah, when it comes to marketing and all that kind of stuff, like it's very, very important. And especially in a world like ours that's become like so engrossed in social media outlets that people can and will make up their minds on whether or not a show is going to be worth watching, judging from what they see immediately. Yeah. So the initial look of shows and publicity 
is going to can have the potential to communicate a lot from its concept to its production values and i think more than anything the passion that the crew have for the show yeah and i um, agree yeah more. yeah and also it's one of those where it's a job that I feel like intimidates a lot of people because you feel like you have to have a lot of a lot of like kind of little tid nit, nitpicky skills so like graphic design photography um, merch design blah 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 but it's a job that allows you to be creative but I think more than anything so much of it comes from collaboration and communication that is almost 75% of the job the rest of it is the fun stuff that we all know about and get we yeah. get to see um but a lot of it is just making sure that you liaise with crew members to get the unified concept that you know when events and show dates are all happening you've got to come up with the fun ways to get the word out so that can be in the form of temporary profile photos and one of my favorite parts of the performing arts societies here merch i love designing merch i love owning merch you guys can't see having... this but he is currently wearing uh, a show hoodie I'm never not wearing a show hoodie. I have so many of them. And like that, that reminders to keep forever as well. Like that's another thing that's very, very special about merch. So all of these, but all of these things, they require the communication, not even just with crew members, but with merch, especially it's liaising with companies that make them. And yeah, I think more than anything, marketing of any kind, not just related to shows, they require communication. And, you know, it's a responsibility that, it's very, very easy to overlook, but I cannot think of a single successful piece of creating creative media in recent years that has not benefited from good quality graphics, effective marketing strategies, and good communication. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That was, again, very well put together argument. Thank you. As you just said, it's an incredibly important... Um, I And by the way, I completely agree in terms of the power of publicity. I think... If having some good publicity literally will make or break uh, a show, just as I think it's almost as important as like having good lighting for the show or having decent mics and like good sound for it. It's like, okay, sure. it doesn't affect the actual product of what you're creating, but in terms of how people engage with it and how people kind of uh, absorb it, I'm thinking especially back to like um, the video that princess ida created um r.i.p um, <laughs> <laughs> the video that princess ida created now. yeah to kind of promote the show um what an incredible piece of publicity that i know certainly for me um made me actually ended up kind of knock-on effects i ended up doing topsy-turvy because i was like okay maybe savoy is a um society that i do actually want to get involved with because this looks actually really fun because it was promoted in a very engaging and accessible way come Um, to us jack come (laughs) to us (laughs) um but i was just wondering do you have obviously you've had quite a lot of experience now with it all uh do you have any tips for people listening who maybe are wanting to branch into publicity um i know certainly news of the week a few weeks ago was um committee positions are soon going to be opening up for things mm-hmm. so as as a publicity officer do you have any um advice any tips any tricks for people wanting to go into it who aren't maybe sure yet yeah i think with branding of any kind i'd say i'll always say this and i'm gonna be 
saying this a lot like during hustings and all of the and all of that good stuff when it time comes around for MTS and Savoy to do their committee group elections. But as I said, 75% of this is within communication and collaboration. It's making sure that you have a grasp over the visions and concepts of others and making sure that you're staying in the loop with what everyone else is planning. Um, I've always, like, I, like one thing I've always said is that loads of people come to me expecting me to be stressed because I do, com- because I do the publicity officer role for MTS and Savoy and then all that. But whenever they say, but whenever I get asked if I'm overwhelmed, it's like, I know I'm going to be fine. It's just really depends on how other people communicate with me and how much I have to do some chasing up. I think, I think what's interesting is that a lot of people, because I'm on two committees, on Savoy and on MTS committee, they expect me to be really, really stressed and expect me to be really, really overwhelmed with what I'm doing with graphics and stuff. But I always say I'm not too stressed because at the end of the day, I know I'm going to be fine so long as my committees are communicating with me because it's when they're not communicating with me and I'm having to do the chasing up and they're not responding to messages that that's what makes me unable to do my job and that's what makes me stressed. So staying in the loop and even essentially being the loop because you're the one who's going to let people know about these events, you have to be the loop and you have to know when everything's happening. And I'm just really, really glad that both my committees have been so on it, have been so on it with me and they've stuck in, and and they've stuck to my to my rules of giving me a certain amount of notice. So that's been great. So main body of advice is always communication and collaborating. Um, um, graphic designs with graphic design stuff, you don't have to be a pro. I think it's literally just a case of learning the basics. So with me, um, color, I like to choose two colors per project that just really stick out. So as Jack is currently seeing, I'm in topsy-turvy gear and that was burgundy and gold. There was literally nothing else. And I'd like to do that with a lot of my projects. Again, fame is that, it's black and red. So it's kind of learning bits about color, learning the basics kind of about how format, how form, how formatting works, where to place things, how to guide the eye to certain bits of information. Um, Knowing where to put spaces, just knowing how where everything can go. Fonts as well. They're very, they're very, very they're they're a small thing. They they're quite a small thing, but they're also mass but they're also massively important. And you know, they're also an accessibility thing as well. So you really need to make sure you pick your fonts carefully. Um another bit of advice is don't stress about not being able to do everything because and don't stress about not being able to afford like certain softwares or be able to do certain tasks. So not everyone's going to be able to do photography, but yet they might be the best graphic designer that will not make you less of a publicity officer. And um, yeah, there are five. And yeah, I think another piece of, and what another piece of advice, and this is one I've struggled with is about knowing your worth because publicity officer can be a very, very thankless job. And it's one of those things that, as I mentioned earlier, it can be extremely overlooked and yeah, and that can sometimes be quite hard. I know it's something that I've personally found really, really hard. But at the end of the day, you've just got to find pride in the fact that people are appreciating your work, but they just might not necessarily be vocal about it, you know, because they're buying the hoodies, they're sharing the show, they're, they're changing their profile pictures. That is the stuff that you really should be cherishing. And more than anything, have fun, because at the end of the day, like this is a very much a creative role. It is a role that is so, so important. And I just, I love it. Like I absolutely have loved being publicity officer for for these shows and these two committees. And I wouldn't have done it had I not been absolutely in love with 
just this as a just as a job and it's something I'm genuinely considering as a career now like and also like the professional skills like they CVs this is what we like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think on that on that rather lovely note I think I'm gonna I'm gonna call it for today so okay. thank you so much for coming on to the show as uh as per every week I, I do have to ask you a very important question oh. and um that is what is your favorite Shakespeare play Macbeth nice okay I think I answered this earlier <laughs> yeah probably um yeah no that's I I have to ask that because otherwise I can't pretend that this is a Shakespeare related podcast. Um, so thank you thank... for having me. Well, that's all we got for this week. So thank you, Tom, so much for joining me this week for Bard Times. Uh, this has been Jack Hardman. Stay safe. And in the words of the Bard himself, I would give up all my fame for a pot of ale and safety. Thank you. Bye.